You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Minds that plot destruction, sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed mind Welcome to the Anarchist World this week Broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite Listen to the Anarchist World this week Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse Listen to analysis of local, national, international events this to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. This program is produced by Karina with a K, I've been told over and over again. I will never forget... If you wonder what anarchy is all about, anarchos without rulers. It's creating a society without rulers. That's right. Not without rules, without rulers. What are the fundamental uh, aspects which give rulers the ability to de- determine the lives of uh, hundreds of millions, if not billions of people? Inequality in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to share power, possibly through direct democratic means, and to hold wealth in common and use it for the common good. Very conservative concepts, things that people have been struggling for since time immemorial. Sometimes we succeed and other times we fail. What's important is the struggle itself, not the actual end point. It's the struggle itself to devolve power and hold wealth in common. These are the crutches which ensure that the inequalities which continue to exist now society and around the world will continue to exist. Now let's move on. Now I'm interested in the concept of representative democracy and obviously those who are regular listeners to the anarchist world this week uh, would have uh, you know, listened to me carry on about representative democracy and obviously anarchists have uh, different opinions on participation in elections but What I want to look at is the concept of representative democracy because around the world, representative democracy is disappearing rapidly. Rapidly. So why is it disappearing rapidly? I mean, we've seen coups recently in a number of uh, states, sovereign nation states. Remember, there's only over 202 sovereign nation states on planet Earth. None on the moon yet, but 202 on planet Earth. And we've seen the number that describe themselves as democracies shrink. And representative democracy, although it was the light on the hill for reformists and many revolutionaries during the 19th and 20th century, the fact is it's failed people. And it's failed people miserably. Not because of the concept, democracy, rule of the people, by the people, for the people, 
but the fact that representative democracy is based on a simple concept, and that simple concept is the population electing people to various houses of parliament to make decisions for them for a fixed period. And what we've seen is the hijacking of representative democracy by entrenched interests. And it makes sense. As I said before, anarchism is about devolving power and holding wealth in common. It's about breaking the monopoly that a, an extremely small minority have on the activities. It's about power and wealth. You can't have one without the other. And the fact is, in a representative democracy, which is based on private investment for private profit mechanisms, whether those private investment for private profits are owned by the state or owned by individuals or corporations, the fact is that those people who control wealth have the ability to determine the parliamentary agenda. And that's the key. It's all very well electing people to parliament and then finding down the track that they don't have the power to actually make significant changes to our lives. Obviously they've got the power to make your life a misery. But the fact is they don't have that power. That's why in a country as rich as Australia, I'm talking about resources and intellect and educational attainments and abilities, that we ha still have extraordinary pro problems. I know that people say Australia is, you know, the pinnacle of the known universe. But the fact is, we could be the pinnacle of the known universe, but we're not. And we're not for a very good reason, because of those inequalities as far as wealth and power is concerned. In a representative democracy, you don't actually have the luxury of determining policy. The only power you have is to place a representative, that's if your boy or girl wins, into a parliamentary seat. And then they pass laws to address the issues which we face as a nation. But unfortunately, as we see consistently, the laws that are passed, the agendas which are put before the people at elections, are determined by the status quo. And it's not unusual in a representative democracy to find that most of the things that are promised never come about, or the promises are so bland and inconsequential that it doesn't really matter if they come about or not. Now, as I said before, democracy, demos, the people, is rule of the people, by the people, for the people. In a representative democracy, 
we have the rule of representatives who tend to represent the interests of the status quo for the benefit of the status quo. And that's why we can't even tackle simple problems like a housing crisis, and I'll discuss that later on. As if a population of 26 million people living on a continent, and I'm sure you're bored with me saying this over and over again, should have any problems which ha with regarding housing its population. But obviously, in a representative democracy where private investment for private profit is the mantra which determines the legislative agenda, we find that we seem to be incapable as a community to solve even the most basic problems. Problems related to housing, problems related to poverty, problems related to inequality, problems related to there's never enough uh, taxation revenue, and the list goes on and on. So what is the alternative to representative democracy? Because democracy, rule of the people, for the people, by the people, comes in many packages. In Australia, where we have a constitutional arrangement where the legislature, that's the House of Representatives and the, and the Senate, determines most of the law, or well, determines the laws that apply federally, we find that when you elect a representative to parliament, because we have a political system which is based on political parties, that their major responsibility is to the party which pre-selects them on a particular platform to parliament. It's not to the people who elect them. It's the party. That's the first weakness of representative democracy based on a party system. It's not about a collection of uh, independents trying to come to some type of consensus regarding issues and how to tackle those issues. In Australia, the democracy is so amoebic, you know, single cell, that we don't even have a mechanism in between elections to actually recall non-performing parliamentarians or parliamentarians who change their political allegiance, who change their policies, who refuse to keep any of their promises. Once they're elected, they're elected for that period, unless they're involved in some major criminality, you will find that they will continue to hold that seat and be involved in that legislative process. There is no power of recall. No power of recall. No power by which the electorate, which elects a representative, can actually recall them and say, we want a fresh elections in between elections for this particular seat, because you've kept none of your promises. It was all garbage. We, you know, so there's no power of recall. The second issue, which involves, you know, a representative democracy, is the fact that the legislative agenda is really not determined by Parliament. It is determined by those who pull the parliamentary puppet strings and those puppet strings are pulled by sections of society 
which have access to inordinate amounts of wealth. For example, the top 1% of people in this country own 40% of the wealth, and the bottom 1%, and the bottom, I should say, and the bottom um, 40%, the top 1% own, you know, as I said, 40%, and the bottom 60%, I think it's 60 own about 2% of the country's wealth. So you can see those inequalities. And if you've got in a private investment for private profit situation, if you've got the resources to, you know, bend the legal system, influence parliament, obviously you can determine what the parliamentary agenda is, legislative agenda, especially if you can, if the people who control the media uh, basically nothing more than uh, a cheering squad for the private investment for private profit mantra. The second thing is, with a referendum coming up on The Voice, the fact is that in this country, the only people that can change the constitutional arrangements to determine the legislative agenda in this country is Parliament. Because they have to decide, after pressure from the population, whether to call a referendum. And they decide the nature of the question, who has a majority in both Houses of Parliament, the actual question which is put to the Australian people. There is no mechanism, as we see in Switzerland and a few other places around the world, where the people can actually put a question directly to the rest of the popu to the population as a whole through a referendum. So the ability to change the constitutional arrangements are grossly limited. Now, I talk about direct democracy. What is direct democracy? Direct democracy is a different concept. It's the people involved in the decision making that decision and then electing or appointing delegates to coordinate those decisions, if it's a local decision at a local level, a regional decision at a regional level, a national decision at a national level. It's delegation versus representation. And any trade unionist listening to this program will understand the difference between delegation and representation. Representation is when you give somebody a signed blank cheque to make decisions for you for a particular period of time. Delegation is when you come to a decision and then elect or appoint somebody to carry that decision forward to act as a coordinating uh, mechanism. Now, obviously, it's a little bit more time-consuming, but the fact is that a delegate system has a greater chance of resolving the issues that we're faced with than a system which is based on representation. Much of the division we see in this country, as we've seen with the uh, voice referendum, much of the division we see in this country is based on the fact that we don't have a delicate system. There is really no discussion about issues apart from you know, uh, apart from the corporate media and social media. No discussion. So think about representative democracy. Now, I'm not telling you not to vote. That's your business, whether you vote or not. I mean, I stand 
in certain elections for a good reason, to raise issues, to raise issues regarding the failure of representative democracy. It's a mechanism by which in a deep politicised society where you can actually bring ideas forward. It's a difficult medium because of the lack of resources, but it is a medium that can be used for that change. But change ultimately doesn't come through Parliament. It comes through pressures which are placed on parliamentary representatives and eventually through the abolition of Parliament and the creation of a system of government or self-government based on delegation, based on direct dem democratic principles. And as I said before, you can't have one without the other. You can't have a democracy where wealth is held in the hands of a minuscule minority. And you can't have a democracy which is based on representation. You'll be listening to the Anarchist, or you're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Now, just in case you want to follow up a lot of this stuff, there's a, f yeah, there's a lot of things you can do. You can join public interest before corporate interest. Go to pibcpibci.net. It's an organisation which is interested in the concepts of direct democracy as opposed to representative democracy. You can go to the YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests, my own personal YouTube channel, josephtoscano.nam, Facebook page, josephtoscano, anarchistmedia.org, public housing, everybody's business, the list goes on and on. There's a lot of stuff out there that you can uh, look at and uh, get involved in. Now, I'm a bit concerned. You know, I'm an old bloke these days, and I'm pleased to be an old bloke that I've got this far. But... Um, I'm concerned because all during my life we as a nation have been following the all the, all the way with LBJ mantra. That's we've uh, attached our coattails to the US of A. And looking at the next presidential election and I think it's in about two years' time, all I can see is a living cadaver, Mr Joe Biden, versing narcissistic boy, Mr Trump. And I'm thinking to myself, is that the best a country of 300 million people, which claims it is the centre of freedom and democracy in the universe, the best they can come up with? A living cadaver and a narcissistic boy? Is that the best they can choose from? It's quite extraordinary and to a large degree it highlights the stranglehold political parties have on the political process. And I keep asking myself, do we really want to walk lock in step with a failing state? Because everything you, that you look at as far as the United States of America is concerned reminds me of a failing state. The extraordinary situation where belief fiction override facts in this failing state highlights 
now we've actually integrated our armed forces, the United States armed forces, not just in terms of treaties and agreements, where if we're asked to, we will dispatch our men and women to be slaughtered, but the fact that the defence systems are now fully integrated in what we've seen over the last 12 months is the final nail put into that coffin of fully integrated. Do we really want to find ourselves fully integrated, giving up, give up our sovereign rights in order to ally ourselves to a failing state? where the best they can produce is a presidential election based, you know, where a living cadaver versus a narcissistic boy. It's just an extraordinary situation when you think about it. And the thing is, it's serious. It's very serious. You've got to look at what's happening around the world. And you can see that this is a very serious situation we find ourselves in. Instead of being non-aligned, instead of trying to form associations with the people around us, as far as our armed forces are concerned and our defence system, it's totally integrated with the US of A and their, their policy initiatives. And in a presidential system, the president has quite an extraordinary amount of power. So think about it. Just think about it. Are you willing to sacrifice your children to fight their fights to ensure that they will continue to dominate the planet? Are you really willing to do that? Or is there a third way? Is there another way we can survive as a sovereign nation state? I have to laugh. I had to laugh today, or was it yesterday or the day before? Qantas. Now, those of you who are old enough will remember that Qantas was a national carrier. That's right. We are an island. Well, we're a continent, actually. And we do need planes, all right? And up till the 1990s, early 1990s, we had a, a uh, company called Qantas. Q-A-N-T-A-S, originated in the airfields of, uh, oh, where was it, um, Queensland, out there in the wilderness in the west, I think 1911 or 1913. And it was a national airliner. It was owned by the government of the day. It was a public airliner. And the whole point about having a public airline was to ensure that we had mechanisms via which people could be flown in and out of the country, especially in a period where, you know, ship transport is no longer relevant. But guess what? Some very smart people, really intelligent people, you know, extraordinary, extraordinary intellects, decided that we needed to privatise Qantas to improve competition, okay? We needed to privatise Qantas to improve competition and decrease prices. 
That's the old chook raffle, you know. We were told, we'll privatise Qantas, which was making him money for the country. Don't forget that. We'll put it in private hands and it'll all be good. It'll be competition. Now, 30 years later, the chooks have come home to roost. We see the Deputy Transport Minister, federally, say, well, we had to save Qantas. We have to save its profitability, which was $2.5 billion last year, because it's a na- our national carrier and it's our national interest to have a national carrier. Well, look, I may be stupid, but I'm sure you're not stupid because you're listening to the Anarchist World this week. But I may be stupid. Qantas, a national carrier, is Qantas owned by the people of Australia? No. Qantas is a private corporation. So 30 years after the privatisation of Qantas, a profitable company, we now see the federal government assisting a private corporation to maximise its profits by gouging its customers in order that we have a national carrier. I mean, if you want competition in the airwaves, let's set up a third airline which is publicly owned. And I can assure you if in two or three years that airline, that people will flock to that airline because I remember... I used to fly Qantas before it was privatised because it was a national carrier. So if you want a national carrier, you don't privatise public assets. You don't privatise it because what you get at the end of the day is not increased competition but decreased competition and increased prices. That's what you get. So it's quite laughable, laughable to think that 30 years after, a publicly owned national carrier was privatised, the government of the day is forced to protect that national carrier that is private that has been privatised, whose major responsibility is to increase returns to its major shareholders and obviously its CEO, and that... People talk about price gouging and that there's no competition in the airline market. Now, most sovereign nation states around the world do have a national airline, but that national airline is actually owned by the people of that country and it provides income to the people of those countries. So if you want to solve this issue, we need a national public airliner and a government could set it up tomorrow and it wouldn't take long for the corners of the world to be regulated to what they are you know you know privately owned corporations whose major responsibility is to maximize profits for their major shareholders all right let's move on you listen to the anarchist world this week broadcast across australia via the community radio network this program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au the program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscana. You can leave messages on 0439 395 4.
You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com or info at pibsy.net. The other big debate, I mean, what we try to do here in the anarchist world this week, and the key word is try, T-R-Y, whether it's successful or not, it's up to you to decide. But we try to look at what's happening during the week, especially in Australia, and you know, and give a, an analysis. Analysis based on non-authoritarian principles. Productivity. Now, that was the big word last week. Productivity. And people were talking about the private sector. They didn't even mention the public sector. There's hardly any left. But what I found really fascinating was the lack of discussion about the collective and cooperative sector. Australia was a leader at the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the 20th century in the creation of cooperatives for the agricultural sector and cooperatives which actually looked after the health and welfare of their members. And many of the companies which were demutualized, that you know, were privatized in the 80s and 90s, 1980s, were actually companies which are owned by their members. About the only large cooperative still left in Victoria is the Royal Automobile Club of Victoria, RACV. But that's that's a different matter. Most cooperatives and collectives have been privatised. They've been demutualised. Remember the Australian Mutual Provident Fund? That was a mutual society. The Odd Fellow Society, a mutual society. All those cooperatives which were set up to assist the agricultural sector, where the members of the cooperatives voted to demutualise those, destroy those cooperatives because they felt that they could compete in the open marketplace. And obviously they forgot the lessons of the past. The best way to increase productivity is not through a private investment for private profit model and maybe not even through a public model, but through a collective and cooperative model where the people involved in that cooperative and collective don't get rich, but they do have a satisfying lifestyle and, more importantly, a secure stream of income. But the problem is, in Australia in 2023, there is no room for cooperatives and collectives in the economic system. And instead of having a freer-tier economy where you've got the public sector, the private sector, and cooperative and collective sector, we've basically got a private sector. And that's it. And the private sector dominates almost every aspect of our existence. And as I've discussed over and over again, or mentioned over and over again, the end point of a private investment for private profit mantra, ideology, whatever you like to call it, without regulation, is the formation of large corporations which dominate every aspect of our existence, what I describe as the bananisation of Australia. Now, those of you who are elderly enough to remember when you had a corner hardware shop will find that they don't exist in regional areas, capital cities. About the only place you'll find a local hardware shop still surviving is in small regional towns, if you're lucky. 
So the bananisation of the economy through allowing the private investment for private profit ideology to dominate every aspect of our existence has created a huge, huge number of problems. I'll give you a simple example. The housing crisis. Now, everybody's talking about it, you know, ad nauseum. The housing crisis. Well, we've been talking about the housing crisis for decades on this program. So, why do we find ourselves in this situation? Well, the main problem has been that we have allowed the private sector to dominate the housing market. That means there's no real competition. Call it the housing crisis vortex. I like the word vortex. No competition. And what we've seen, especially in Victoria, is the privatisation of the public housing market and the shrinking of the public housing market. I think less than 3% of Victorians and I think less than 5% of Australians now live in public housing. Now, public housing is publicly owned and publicly managed, and that's the key. But what various governments at the state level have been trying to do is actually abrogate their responsibility to provide housing for their most vulnerable members to the private sector through the community, community affordable, whatever you like to call it, you know, a housing sector. Backward, a backdoor road to privatisation, and obviously Victoria is the leader of the pack when it comes to the privatisation of public housing. So the housing crisis, if you leave it to the private sector, nothing will change. Now what happened in the 80s and 90s was quite disgusting. What happened is, in order to extend the private housing markets, one, residential housing was opened up to foreign investors, but more importantly, legislation was passed through Parliament at various levels which encouraged Australians through negative gearing laws to invest in the housing market and use this investment as part of their long-term plan to be able to retire. And all these incentives have been created to gently force people with disposable income to invest that income in the private housing market. Now, 2 million Australians out of a population of 26 now own a second home. And that has been made possible through legislation which has encouraged them, encouraged them to invest in the private housing market. 90% own one, one extra home, 9% own two extra home, and 1% real investors, and in inverted commas, own lots of properties. But the fact is 
that we have relied on people's yearning for a secure retirement to be based on the private expansion of the residential market. Now, most people who have a second home do not own that home outright. And if you've got a second home, what you do is you rent it, you know, and you claim your tax, you claim your tax refunds, whatever. You rent it. That's what normally people do. Some people land bank it, hoping that the increasing prices of homes will give them a windfall uh, profit when they sell it. But even in the interim, most people rent it. But that doesn't mean they own that home outright. Most investors in the private housing market, the mum and dad investors we all love, you know, like small business we all love, borrow money from financial institutions and use uh, their accountants' advices, advices, you like that, <laughs> accountants' advices, to actually minimise their taxation burden and expect the renter to pay their mortgage. Now, as mortgage rates increase, 12 increases in mortgage rates, what has happened is that rents have also increased at extraordinary levels, 25% in certain cases in the last 12 months. Because the investors in the private housing market, the mum and dad investors are feeling the pinch with the increasing uh, interest rates and they're relying on the renter to pay that home off for them. So instead of increasing the public housing stock, we have put our trust, as we did with the privatisation of Qantas, in the private sector, but in this case, in the desire for older Australians for a bit of disposable income to actually have a secure retirement. It's diabolical when you think about it. Totally diabolical. But fascinating. You listen to the Anarchist World this week and you wonder why we have a housing crisis. Now, obviously, we need two things. We need a public builder and we need investment in public housing. Because the difference between public housing and private housing is chalk and cheese. As interest rates goes up, if you're renting privately, your rent increases. If you're in public housing, your rent is fixed at 25% of income. That means if you have a good income, you don't want a public home. But if your income is poor, then having a public housing, access to public housing gives you all the advantages, the security which is involved in having accommodation you can't be booted out of, you know, willy-nilly, as you can with rental accommodation. And don't forget, the fastest growing sector of the housing market in this country is the rental section. 
because young people and old people have been priced out of the housing market. When you've got a fine, $800,000 to buy a three-bedroom house 50 or 30 or 40 kilometres from the CBD and you've got a mortgage, let's say, if you're lucky enough to save 100000 which most people can't, you're luck- lucky enough to have a mortgage of $700,000, that means you need to find at least, at least $1,050 a week to service that mortgage at the current interest rates. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the community radio network. Look, we give you different ideas, different ways of tackling problems. There is not one way of tackling an issue, and that's the problem that we have in this country. There is only one way, and that is through the private investment for private profit model. I know I harp on it every week, but that's the fact. Inequalities in power and wealth create the problems that we have today. Let's move on. Let's move on. Now, why does the Australian government pick and choose what political prisoners it supports? Have you wondered? Now, there are Australians languishing in jails around the world. Some are there for... uh, crimes against other human beings. Others are obviously political prisoners. I have no problem if the government, you know, are supporting political prisoners. Australian political prisoners in jails around the place. But what I do find fascinating is the fact that we pick, as governments, we pick and choose what political prisoners we are happy to look at. And when they're held by unfriendly or potentially unfriendly governments like the Chinese government, we do like to highlight that issue, as we should. But when it comes to people like Mr Julian Assange, who's held by a friendly government, and wanted by an even more friendly government, we seem to forget about the situation. We just don't highlight it. We let it disappear. I mean, Australia has a long history of picking and choosing what political prisoners it tends to highlight. And the ones that tend to get to be highlighted are those which support its current ideological position and those that are ignored are those that don't support its current ideological position and the way that the political the two political prisoners that are held in China today in comparison to the way Julian the Julian Assange cases highlighted it's just extraordinary. It really is extraordinary. Irrespective of what you think of, these in, of the individuals involved, the fact is a political prisoner is a political prisoner. End of story. 
nothing different. A political prisoner is there because of their disagreements with that particular government of the day. You know, you've got political prisoners in Thailand, which we never hear about, under the the Legest law there, where you can't criticise the king. Can't criticise king, king. And the list goes on and on. So maybe you should contact your local politician, federal politician, and say, hey, what's going on here, Charlie? Why do you support one group and not the other group? They're all Australians. They're all being held in foreign prisons, irrespective of they're held in by our friends or our potential or our perceived enemies. Isn't it time that all political prisoners, we, uh, we uh, treated them in the same manner? Well, that's me. I mean, I'm a bit stupid, aren't I? What about West Papua? You know, I love hearing the Australian government talk about the human right excesses in China and Russia. We're always there on the front line, aren't we? Always there to help our allies. You know, we don't take sides, do we? Aggression is aggression, isn't it? Genocide is genocide. Well, it's not. It's not. I keep asking myself, what about West Papua? What about the extraordinary number of deaths that have occurred in the last 60 years in West Papua? What about the West Papuan people? They don't live... 5,000 kilometres away, they live 70 kilometres from the Australian coastline. 70 kilometres. We train as a country and we arm the very people that that are involved in the continuing genocide in West Papua. We provide them with the munitions and the training. And not once, not once do we hear the major political parties raise the issue of West Papua. Now, I'm sure Mr Albanese, when he meets the, you know, the paramount leader of China, will raise the issue of the two political prisoners which have been held by China. And I think that's a great thing. But when the Indonesian president was here or when he went to visit Indonesia a few months ago, did he raise any questions about West Papua? Obviously not. It's an internal matter, isn't it? The same with Burma, isn't it? Fascinating what's happening in Burma. But do we really hear much about from the Australian government regarding the position of the Burmese military junta, junta I should say, which overthrew a legally elected government. We hear a lot what's happening in Ukraine, but do we hear anything about what's happening in Burma? Have we heard the Australian government talk about expelling Burma from ASEAN? No. The list goes on and on.
So really, if we want to be taken seriously on the world stage, you can't really pick and choose what democracies or or, or non-democracies, you know, we as a country tend to support. Currently, in Vanuatu, there is a meeting of the Melanesian Spearhead Group regarding incorporating West Papua into that organisation as a full member, not just an observers. So what's Australia going to do if it's incorporated as a full member? Are they going to continue to ignore West Papua? Well, as you know, I've been the convener of the West Papua and Ren Collective for, or I think, nearly nine years, and the idea is very simple. We have ordinary Australians, I call them extraordinary Australians, who'd pledge a dollar a day, $30 a month, $365 a year, to the West Papua and Rent Collective. And what that does is it allows us to raise funds to provide an office at 838 Collins Street in Docklands for the West Papua Independence Movement, which use that office to coordinate the West Papuan political struggle around the world. It is an important... I think it's one of the only two offices in the world outside West Papua that promote that struggle. And we've been able to do that because of the generosity of people like you who listen to the anarchist world this week. It's funny, isn't it? It's the anarchists that are helping the West Papuan independence movement. Nobody else. Nobody else. You know, in terms of, you know, practical support. Now, we have no say or want any say on how they conduct their independence struggle, what happens in the office, how it's structured, the people involved. That's their business. We raise the money to provide the space to allow them to promote the West Papua independence struggle and bring that struggle to a head. Not just in West Papua, not just Australia, but the rest of the world. It's about time, you know, we stop turning our back on what's happening in this part of the world. About every three to four months, we hold a gathering, which I'm inviting you to, all right? A gathering. The next gathering will be on the... Sunday the 17th of September, 1pm lunch, 2pm start, 4pm finish. And it's about familiarising people with the activities of the office, the people involved, what they do, and also it's a mechanism by which bringing members of the West Park and Rent Collective together to meet each other. This is an extraordinary group of people. So the invitation is there. Just turn up. If you want to find out more about it, go to the West Papuan West Papuan office, their website, or you can go to my Facebook page, Joseph Toscano. Now obviously there's also an auction which we'll be holding of handmade original goods. But if you just go to the web page and you'll see all about that. But the important thing is we'd like to see you there. All right? Sunday the 17th of September, 
come along. You know, nobody's going to bite your nose off. We may ask you for a donation for lunch, but that's about it. So we've looked at a few issues today. And the important thing is that uh, we stop believing. We start looking at facts. I mean, no, they're terrible things, facts. But while we believe and ignore facts, things will continue to progress, in inverted commas, backwards for the human race. We used to believe people were witches and we used to burn them at the stake. Now we think that people who live in China are somehow not our friends. And then we believe that, oh, I don't want to go about it. Some people believe in people in the sky. Others believe that there was no moon landing. The list goes on and on. It's just extraordinary. While we continue to live in our little silos, talking to each other about nothing in particular, nothing will change. I encourage you to look at a few websites. Well, Facebook page, josephtoscana.org, anarchistmedia.org, Public Housing Everybody's Business, which is a Facebook page, uh, web page, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, pibci.net. You can leave friendly messages on 0439 395 489. I will get back to you. You can always write to us. We still answer letters. Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. Remember, the program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. Is there any particular issue you'd like me to look at? I'm happy to consider it. Leave a message on 0439 395 489. We'd like to thank all those people at Community Radio Network for looking after the Anarchist World this week and allowing it to be broadcast across the country on various community radio stations in every state and almost every territory, well, and every territory in this country. I'd like to thank our new producer, Karina with a K, for putting us to air without her support. I will just be talking to myself, although you may think that. Now remember, listening to the Anarchist World this week, next week, we'll try to analyse things, we'll try to give you a different perspective, but put down the 17th of September in your diary, and if you're in Melbourne, today on the 30th of August, join us at the Frankston Lunch at, at uh, the Food Star, midday to 2pm. If you want directions, leave a message on 0439 395 489, listen in to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of Community Radio Network. This program is podcast. You can go to 3cr.org.au. Thank you for 3CR for broadcasting the Anarchist World this week via the Community Radio Network. Evil minds that plot destruction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds.
Did you know that 3CR received its community radio licence in 1976? Our application was successful because of our diverse and engaged community membership. Subscribers are at the heart of our station and we really need you to be active and paid up in 2023. Become a 3CR subscriber today. Call 039419 8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.